Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. Well, there's a lot of people traveling this weekend. We got a lot of people from the congregation out and about and seeing family and visiting um, family and friends. So I just, I just want to take a moment and just pray for them um, as they travel and as they spend time um, with their extended family um, away from us and uh, that they would have, just have a blessed time. So would you guys pray with me uh, for those who are traveling. So dear Lord God, we thank you for this weekend. We thank you for seasons of rest. And God, we thank you that this weekend is a season in where many of us get to take the opportunity to, to rest and to enjoy family, to enjoy friendship and community with one another. Um, and God, we just pray for uh, those who are traveling, um, for those that are with family. God, you would bless those times. As time with family can be stressful, it can be difficult. Um, but God, I just pray that you would use all of those conversations, those opportunities to to speak life and to speak joy and to, to bring your kingdom of, of rest and joy and community together. So God, we pray for those who are away from us this morning, um, that you would provide rest for their souls, and God, that we would also this morning find rest and joy in you, that we would set aside the busyness of this world and this life and uh, focus on the joy that you bring. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this morning we are finishing up our parable series. It's the kind of the quintessential, you know, end of summer weekend. Um, and we kicked this series off kind of on the quintessential beginning of summer weekend um, in May. And so we've kind of gone through the summer uh, doing, walking with Jesus, going through these parables. And this final parable brings us to uh, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to there. Um, it's been an uh, incredible series. I've really enjoyed uh, seeing Jesus' teaching, digging in a little bit deeper, um, kind of getting a better grasp or imagination around uh, the kingdom of God and what God intends the kingdom to be. Um, kind of up until this series, I would read the kingdom of God and be like, oh, that's nice, and just kind of like skip over it. Like, that means something somewhere else, some other time. And uh, it's been cool to see through this series how God, when he references the kingdom of God, he's, t- he's talking about now, he's talking about here, he's talking about what's been accomplished through his son, Jesus. And so we get to move forward in that, and that it's, it is for something right here. It's something for right now. And so those words, I don't skip over as quickly anymore when he talks about the kingdom of God. Um, the next, uh, next week, we're going to start our next series. Um, it's going to be called Far Country. And it's going to be this idea of how God calls us um, kind of away from home into the, a far country. Um, so we're going to look at Abraham. We're going to look at Moses. We're going to look at um, Joshua, we're going to look at Jesus, how Jesus is called from heaven into this kind of far country here on earth, and how this earth is not our own, and how this, this earth is not our home, um, but it's a place where we live, it's a place where God has put us to reside, and it's a place where he's put us to serve. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit, and how, how do we live among the world, and how do we serve um, our neighbors and our friends and our families in this world as we are kind of sojourning through. And then after that, we're going to be doing a short series on missions. Um, and then after that, we'll be doing a, a series on the Holy Spirit that will bring us through uh, the new year. And so that's kind of where we're going. That's the trajectory we're going to be talking about, kind of the sojourning. And then we're going to talk about what it is to be intentionally, completely on mission. And then we're going to be talking about Um, what it is to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, how we can do mission with the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of us. So I'm excited where God is going to be leading us in this next quarter 
um, as we kind of look Christmas and New Year's down, you know, it's kind of crazy that, like, that's, that's in our scope already, next quarter. Um, but we celebrate where God has put us, and this morning we are in the book of Luke, and so if you guys are there, um, <laughs> I'm just going to open up by reading this parable to you guys, or reading the text. So Luke chapter 13 said, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And so he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich. Towards God. Would you guys pray with me again this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this text. We thank you for this parable that you've given us to, to challenge our hearts around greed and around hoarding and to move our hearts towards a place of generosity. And so, God, I just pray that you would come near, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us in ways that maybe we're anxious, in ways that there is fear. And God, maybe in places where we just need transformation because we are just captivated by the lust of our eyes and of our flesh, where we need to be set free from this bondage of greed and this bondage of just consumption. And so, God, we confess these things to you, and we ask you to come and purify our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So in this parable, Jesus is talking both to the crowds and his disciples. He's talking to the crowds, his disciples, are right there, and he's been talking about persecution. Up until this point in the text, he's been talking about persecution, and then he's kind of rudely interrupted by this guy, right? This guy comes up and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus has been talking about persecution, and this guy just inserts himself with kind of this question that says, hey, um, I've got a pressing issue, and I really would like for you to take care of it. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you're talking about one thing, and then just out of the blue, they ask something that has zero context to what you've been talking about at all. It's like they haven't been listening. Has anyone had that happen? Maybe you've been that person. Maybe you've been that person where you're like, you're kind of like half listening to somebody, and really what you really want is just to like insert yourself and be like, actually, I've really got this pressing question. And what you find is that you weren't listening at all because there was a bunch of noise. There's a bunch of noise going on in your brain that says, this thing right now is really important to me. It's really pressing. And I think a lot of us walk around with so much noise that it makes it very difficult for us to listen. I think even as I have sat in sermons and listened to sermons, there's been times where like I've sat through the whole sermon and not heard a word of the pastor because there was just so much noise going on in my head. And it really didn't matter what the pastor was saying or what my friend was saying because I had this noise going on. And so that's what's going on with this man. He's got so much noise going on in his head. He's so worried about his brother splitting his inheritance with him that he's not even listening. He's not even listening to Jesus. And he asked Jesus to come in and just settle this dispute on the spot, which isn't 
this isn't uh, foreign, okay? In this time period, uh, when you had a dispute with your brother or your sister, um, you would go to the rabbis, and you would present your case before the rabbis, and the rabbis would settle the dispute. Now, very rarely did it happen like publicly in the middle of kind of like this address, in the middle of this teaching. It'd be like if somebody just came up to me and said, hey, Justin, I know that you're talking about this thing, but like, I've got this problem over here. Can you solve it for me real quick in front of everybody? Um, and what's amazing about Jesus is that he, he shifts with him. But instead of taking sides, instead of taking sides like the man asks him to, he says, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about greed. This is a perfect opportunity to talk about what's at the heart of the problem. Because sometimes answering the question isn't helpful. Sometimes answering the question isn't helpful. And sometimes what we need is to get at the heart of the question. Where is this question coming from? And address that. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And so he offers this parable. And he says to him, you know, this rich man had a crop that produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what am I supposed to do with all of this crop that I got? I know. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build new barns. I'll be able to store this grain. And then I'm going to relax for a couple years because I'll have an abundance of grain. And God warns him. He says, you fool. You need to be on watch because what happens if you were to die tonight? What would happen if your soul was demanded of you tonight and you had all of this stored up? What would happen to it? Who would take care of it? Do you think that you're in this place where you get to check out? And so there's two things in this text that we have to kind of realize. Even though this text calls this man a fool, there's two things that we must realize about this man. The first is that this man is blessed. Even though he's a fool, the man is blessed. His fields produce an amazing crop that year. Now, even the best farmers with the best techniques can't control the way that their crops form. A couple years ago, we had a massive, nasty drought that wiped out a, a large portion of the corn crop. And so <laughs> the farmer is always kind of at the mercy of God, at the mercy of the elements. And so this guy kind of gets lucky. But we can't say lucky in church, so we got to say that like he was blessed, right? Because that's what he really was. I mean, he was blessed. He was blessed by God. He had a great great harvest season. And, th and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong that he was blessed with an abundance from God. The next thing is that the, the guy's kind of smart. The guy's like, I've got all this crop. What am I going to do with it? I know I should build some bigger barns to protect it. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to protect the crops that God has blessed him with. The problem comes with his motive as to why he wants to build the bigger barns. The problem comes is when he says to himself, I am going to sit back and relax and kind of collect on this blessing. The problem is that this man's vision for himself is far too narrow. It is for himself, and it has nothing to do with serving others. And so this guy is thinking of himself only. And this is what Jesus is warning against. He says, this is what covetousness is, right? Think about it. Whenever you covet something or you desire something, you seek it for yourself only. In many ways, greed and covetousness is a form of lust. In Deuteronomy 5.21, we get this verse in the law that tells us not to covet our neighbor's wife. One of the Ten Commandments. Do not cover thy neighbor's wife. And then Jesus changes that language in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, do not lust 
after a woman. And so this idea of coveting something or lusting after something or having greed towards something is, are all forms of covetousness. And I've never really, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever thought about your greed as a form of lust. But when I think about it, when I, when I compare my experiences with lust and my experiences with greed, they, they're very similar. It's this kind of like burning desire I must have, I must get. And you don't care about anyone else. You don't care about the, the choices. You don't care about anything. You, you just want to get what's yours. And I think that that's how greed kind of works in our hearts is that we find ourselves kind of just lusting after these possessions. And really, this place of lust and this place of greed comes from a place where we have been discontented. You know, some people would say, well, maybe, maybe people are greedy because they're anxious. They're anxious about not having enough supplies. But I think anxiety for not having enough resources and straight-up greed are kind of two different Two different experiences. Both Jesus calls sinful because later, right after this, he talks about do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about the clothes that you have, the food that you eat, because I, I'll provide those things for you. But what I find that with, with lust or with greed, it, it kind of comes from this place where it's just like, it just comes from within us that says, I, I'm discontent with the things that I've been given and I want more. I just want to consume more. And what we find is that this consumption of goods is not healthy for us. It's not good for us. The lottery is one incredible example of how greed really destroys our hearts. The odds for winning the lottery are stacked absolutely against those who participate in the lottery, but yet people will participate in it religiously. And then what happens when people win the lottery? Like there are countless stories after stories after stories of people's lives ruined by the lottery. And I think a lot of times we say, oh, it's the lottery's fault. It's the fault that they got all this money and they didn't know how to manage this money. But in reality, the lottery kind of exposes the condition of their hearts. I don't know about you. I don't know if any of you have, have thought about like, what would I do if I win the lottery? What would all the cool stuff that I'd buy? I mean, it's a nice, fun, mental experiment, right? And, and so what I find is that, like, if that were to happen, you know, do I become greedy after I've won the lottery, or was I greedy before I won the lottery? There's a lot of winner in Las Vegas who had half a million dollars robbed from him in the parking lot of a strip club. And after being interviewed... Um, because this, you know, this major lotto winner had a massive amount stolen. They're like, like so, so what do you think? What do you think of your life? And he just said, I hate my life. I hate who I am. And what he realized is that the lottery, no amount of money could change his heart. And he's like, I hate who I've become. And what's actually happened is that by winning the lottery, by having all this cash, it just exposed greater the heart condition. You know, we have this, this saying that, you know, Power corrupts, absolutely. Um, and really, I think the idea is that what happens is that when people get power, it just magnifies the broken conditions of our heart. You know, it's not the power that corrupts. It's that we are corrupted before the power. And then when we're given power, a lot of times, it, it just magnifies it and it moves us in this direction of, of complete brokenness. And so this is what happens 
when our heart is filled with greed and it's filled with discontent that no matter how much you think money might fix your problem or how much resources is going to fix your problem, it's just actually going to magnify it. It's just going to magnify it and show just how broken and desperate your soul really is longing for. And so it's hard. It's hard to break the cycle, the cycle where all we want to do is hoard, all we want to do is bring stuff in. And the only way that I found to break this cycle of kind of hoarding and the cycle of greed and the cycle of anxiety is to give and to be generous, to do the opposite of what my heart and soul is telling me to do because my heart and soul and my lust and my greed is saying, collect, collect, collect. But Jesus tells us the antidote to that is actually to give it away, to, to begin giving it away, to begin fighting against that. We must begin to give of ourselves in service and in love and in friendship and in material, physical, financial resource. It's interesting. This week I was talking with a group of friends. We had an amazing conversation with a group of friends this week. And when we were talking, there was this question that came up within our group um, in the discussion. And the the question was, um, what about you is worth imitating? What about you is worth imitating? Profound question. Like, everyone kind of just went silent when, some, when the person asked that question. They're like, hey, I've got a question for you guys. What about you is worth imitating? What, what, what do you think other people should, should imitate about you? And the, and the conversation just kind of died for a second. Because I think when we're all honest, like, that's a tough question for us. It's a profound question because I think we all know immediately what, about, what, the, what it is about us that's not worth imitating. We're like... Why didn't you ask that one? Why didn't you ask the question of what about you is not worth imitating? I could give you the list right now. But instead, the question was, what about you is worth imitating? And one of my friends in the group said, you know, I think one of the things that's, that's worth imitating in me and in my life is my generosity. You might be like, whoa, just for a second. It's kind of like somebody that's humble saying like, hey, you know what? I'm pretty humble. You know, that's kind of difficult when someone says, you know what, you should, you should mimic my generosity. I'm that generous. Like, you're like, whoa, okay, time out. But, but for real, when you heard my friend's heart open up, he's like, look, he's like, my father was an incredibly generous man. He's like, and I grew up watching my father serve others, love others, give in audacious ways, in ways that, you know, we thought as a family at times, we're foolish. He's like, but because of my father, he's like, I feel like I am wanting to carry on. I find that in my heart and in my soul, there's this, this place for generosity. And he's like, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I lost my father when I was a sophomore in high school. And he's like, and I feel like one of the ways that I get to honor and carry on kind of my father's legacy is in carrying on his generosity. And that struck me. That struck me. The way that he was like, I've got this father that was generous. And the way that I want to live my life is to, to honor my father. He was that great of a man to me. that I want to honor him. And I want to honor him by living on the legacy of his generosity. And so that left me thinking. It left me thinking that, you know, at the end of the day, we all have a generous father. We all have an incredibly generous Father in heaven who's modeled amazing generosity towards us. So amazing, in fact, that it's powerful enough 
to change our hearts. It's powerful enough to change our lives. It's powerful enough to change our lustful, greedy hearts towards this heart of benevolence and generosity towards others. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a moment and just look at how generous our Father is, to how our Father has modeled generosity for us. Because when I look at people's lives, when I used to work with students, one of the things that they would always say to me is, Justin, we never had this faith modeled for us. Please model what it is to have Christian faith. And when I look at kids growing up, it's amazing to see how they're products of the worlds that they have modeled after them. As they grow up to adults, it's like, oh my gosh, like they're that way because they saw it modeled in their home this way. And so I think some of us are like, well, we never had generosity modeled for us. And I want to say we have, when we open the book of Scripture, when we look at our true Father, we have his generosity modeled for us everywhere. And so let's take a look at this. In, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world and everything in it. He creates everything, all of this. And guess what he does to it? He gives it away. He gives it away to us. He gives it to Adam and Eve, and he says, here, go, enjoy it. Make stuff out of it, fill it, subdue it, rule over it, organize it. I mean, what an incredible gift this earth is. What an incredible gift this place that we call our home is that we're passing through, that God has given us. This world, this is an incredible and generous gift from our Father. In Genesis chapter 2, Ab- not Abraham, Adam is alone. He's gone, he's named all the animals. No one's no animal is suitable for him. He's, he's lonely. God looks down at this. He's like, this is not good. I need to fix this. So he generously creates Eve, brings him to her, and he brings us into community. He brings us into community. It's not this service just towards Adam, but it's the service towards each other that he generously brings us as human beings into community with one another. And so this community that we have, the fact that we can be in relationship with one another is a gift from God. He generously has given this to us, the fact that we could be in relationship to one another. In Genesis chapter 3, we sin. We mess it all up. We mess up this gift. We mishandle the gift that God has given us. But do you know what God does? He gives us another gift. He looks at our clothes, our ragtag clothes, and he says, you know what? You need better clothes than that. I'm going to get you some clothes. And he makes us some clothes out of skin, and he covers our shame, and he covers our guilt. He gives us proper clothes. What an incredible gift to cover our shame, to cover up our mistakes. Incredibly generous. Genesis chapter 21, God generously gives Abraham a son. Abraham and Sarah were barren, but God promised them a son, and in their barrenness, a son comes. His name is Isaac, and it's through this son that God is going to create a nation for the world that's going to bless the rest of the world. So Isaac isn't just a gift to Abraham, but Isaac is a gift to the entire world to bless others, to go and make the world fruitful again. And then in the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 22, God tests Abraham, and he tells Abraham that he needs to go kill Isaac. that God's going to take away this gift that he has given him. But Abraham goes with Isaac, 
And as he's about to sacrifice Isaac, guess what God generously gives? He gives a ram in return. He gives a ram in Isaac's place. Our God is generously giving. I know this is the part where we can begin to check out the sermon because I'm just going through Scripture, but this is the part that I need you to listen to the most. This is the part that I need you to listen to the most because this is the character of our Father. This is the character of our God. This is how our God has modeled generosity. And if you're just sitting here like, oh man, I know these stories, I know it, I know it, because I've sat there, I've sat there in your seat before, and I'm like, man, the pastor's just rattling these scriptures just to like make his point, and I'm like, and I know these things, but like, I've missed it because I've thought of those things. I've missed it at times because I've been like, yup, I know where he's going, I know what he's doing, I know what he's trying to make, but like, this is, this is the story of our Father. This is the story of how God has been incredibly generous to us, and I don't want us to miss it this morning. And so we continue in Exodus, he generously gives the Hebrew people freedom from their slavery. They're enslaved, and God says, guess what? Today I'm going to save you. Today I'm going to destroy your enemies. You just need to sit back, have faith, and I'm going to part the Red Sea for you, and you're going to walk through on dry land. God generously gives us that. The people are then hungry. They're in the desert. They're crying out to God. They're kind of whining. And God says, you know what? In the, in the middle of your whining, in the middle of your hunger, in the middle of the, your place where you lack faith, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide generously that I'm going to rain food down from the sky. Food is going to come down from the sky. And it happens. So they, they are filled, that they are full. And that rain, that food rains down from the sky every day for 40 years. In Exodus chapter 20 in Mount Sinai, God generously gives the people a law. He gives the people a way of living a definition of what it is to be human, what it is to be God's chosen people. And he establishes a nation that's designed to bless the rest of the world. God says, I've given you these things. Don't keep them to yourself, but go and give them to the rest of the world. In Joshua, God gives them an entire strip of land about 40 miles wide, about 200 miles long, Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, God generously gives the people a king against his better judgment. God says, no, I don't think you really need a king. But they're like, no, please give us a king. And he's like, okay, I'll give you a king. And he gives them King Saul. And then after Saul, he anoints King David. And then King Solomon. And we have these kings in place that rules over God's people and that's charged with stewarding God's people and God's possessions so that they might be a light to the world. In Daniel chapter 1, he generously protects, maybe it's Daniel chapter 2, I think, he generously protects while the people are in exile. So God's removed them from the place of Israel, but he's still with them. He's still with them in this foreign land. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down to this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has established. And so he generously protects them in the fiery furnace. In the book of Esther, again, in exile, God protects the people, the Hebrew and Jewish people, through Queen Esther. As she convinces the king to protect the people of Israel because <laughs> the Persians were ready to go and exterminate all the Jews and all of the lands. And through Queen Esther, God saves his people. 
And the Jewish people celebrate that holiday and that event as Purnum. They remember. They remember these events that God showed up and was incredibly generous towards them. Then we fast forward to the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get the stories of God being incredibly generous by giving us his son, by giving us the ultimate gift of his son and our Savior, Jesus, who saves us from wrath and judgment of our God. I mean, the Bible is just filled with these stories of God's generosity. In Acts chapter 2, he generously gives us his spirit. If giving us his son was not enough, he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to come live with you. I'm going to live inside of you. And the things that you're going to be able to do because I'm living inside of you is going to be beyond your imagination, beyond your comprehension. In Romans 8, Paul tells us that we're generously adopted as God's sons and daughters. I mean, the story just keeps getting better. God, just when you think that God has like given us more than what we could ever imagine or comprehend, he's like, here, here's a little bit more. Here, here's a little bit more. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we have been saved and that we've been given a new purpose. That we were once dead in our transgressions, that that life, the way that we used to live according to the flesh, that was for one purposes. But in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that I've given you new purpose. I've given you a spirit so that you can go out and serve others. That you might go and do good works that I've prepared in advance before you. And then in Hebrews chapter 13 and in Revelations 21, God tells us that if you think this earth and if you think this place that you call your home is pretty spectacular, guess what? I'm preparing a new one and a better one for you. And it's going to come and it's going to come in this place in physical form. You're going to be resurrected with new bodies just as Christ was. Our God is amazing. Our God has never given up on us. But the crazy thing is that in light of all of this, in light of this list of things that our God is generous in, what I find is that it's still possible for our hearts to want to be greedy. It's still possible for our hearts to want to know more, to want to have more. And so what happens is that we end up hoarding. Because this is what the people of Israel did, right? Like God showered gift upon gift upon gift upon gift upon gift. And they're like, sure, we'll take it, but we want more. We want more than, than what, God, you're, you're willing to offer. They were never content. They were never thankful. One of the best ways that you can kill your greed living inside of you is to begin by being thankful, to have a heart of thanksgiving, to when you feel that lustful passion burning inside of you as you just scroll through Amazon or Facebook or whatever ad site that you go through and you're like, man, I need that. Like, you just need to pause for a second and say, how can I be thankful for the things that God has already given me? How can I be creative with those things? Like I said, it's not easy, so we hoard. Any hoarders here? Anyone like to hoard? Yeah, I get it. I'm a little bit of a hoarder. I've still got a box full of like all my college papers because I thought they were that awesome, and then I go back and I read them. I'm like, what was I thinking? They're not awesome. I should burn that box. And so there's, there's a little bit of hoarder in all of us. Anyone been to a hoarder's house? Anyone seen the show Hoarders? All right, anyone been to a hoarder's house? I've been to a hoarder's house. Um, when Rebecca and I were engaged, I got very anxious about finances. 
Um, I was just like, how are we going to pay for this wedding? Um, we're this young couple. We don't, we don't have a really established income. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? It was summertime. I was like, I'm going to try and make some extra money. And so I went to the classified ads um, on the UW website, and somebody was like, hey, need help moving? Pay $10 an hour. I'm like, all right, I'm there. So I contacted them. I'm like, hey, do you need help moving? They're like, yep, here's the address. I was like, all right, I'll be there. I walk in. It is just a sea of stuff this high. And I get there, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, so what, what, what do you need done? And they're like, well, first, first I would like you to, to scrub the bathtub. I was like, okay, can't be that bad. I go and scrub the bathtub. This bathtub was caked in lime. Caked in lime. So probably two hours, I like subject my respiratory system to these, these awful chemicals as I'm scrubbing the lime as best I can off of the bathtub. And what's ironic here is that like I had this hoarding tendency going on. Like that's why I'm there, right? Because I'm like, I don't know if I have enough resources. And then this lady has like a ton of resources, but has the same problem of like, I don't know if I have enough resources. That's why her house is full of stuff. And so then I, I'm done scrubbing kind of the rot out of her, her, her bathtub. I'm like, all right, um, what's next? Cause like I need some fresh air. And she's like, how about you help in the kitchen? And guess what we found in the kitchen? We found cans from the 1980s. We found food and boxes of food from like the 1970s, like late 1970s. We found some mold. We found some rot. I mean, and this is what happens when we hoard, right? Like stuff starts to rot. And the unfortunate thing about hoarding is that we are like, we need, we need, we need, and we begin to take, 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 and then we forget about it, and we leave it in some corner, and it doesn't get used, and it collects dust, and it rots, and then it has to get thrown out. When all that time that it was sitting there, it could have been used to bless someone else. It could have been used in a way that someone else could have had joy. But instead, in our hoarding culture, we're like, hoard it, hoard it, hoard it, keep it, save it, save it, save it, to where... We don't even get to enjoy it. It just sits in some corner somewhere. And it goes and it rots. I mean, this is what happens with the nation of Israel, right? Like God's like, I'm going to rain food down from heaven. You take only what you need for today and there will be food for you tomorrow. But instead, there's this hoarding in them. There's this lack of faith in them that says, I'm going to grab some manna for tomorrow. I'm going to store up. I'm going to build some barns in my little hut. I'm going to try and gather their little barns, but their barns enough to where, like, if, if the manna just doesn't happen to come tomorrow, I would have some. And what happens is that that manna rots and creates a stink in their home. And so what I find is that our generosity is oftentimes directly connected to our faith, directly our faith and our belief that God is going to provide what we need when we need it in a heart of thankfulness to be content with the things that he has already given. So as we've seen, God has provided incredibly generously for us. And these are the things that we need to meditate on. We need to meditate on how God has provided generously for us. And so I ask us this morning to reflect, where has God shown up for you? Where has God generously provided? Where has God given an incredible abundance in your life? 
And maybe that's hard because maybe you've been just thinking about the next thing and you haven't had time to, to sit back and think about everything that God has already given you. But where has God given you so much abundance that you might, in fact, might have to actually start saying no to other things? That you've actually received so much that instead of saying yes to more things, you might actually have to start saying no to some things for the sake of saying yes to the very best thing. What I find is that our greedy and lustful souls tries to take hold of whatever comes our way. Oh, you want this? Sure. You want this? Sure. I don't know if I have a use for it right now, but sure, I'll take it. And the thing is, is that we take things and we fill our lives with things. And I'm not talking just physical things, but also just like emotional things. I'm talking about activities. I'm talking about things that we believe is going to fill our life. We, we, we say yes to these things, and a lot of them are good things. I think if I were to look at our lives and, and ask you, hey, what do you say yes to? I bet you'd have a long list of like good things that you say yes to. And I'd say, yeah, those, those are good things that you're saying yes to. Those are good things that you're bringing in. But the reality is that you might say yes to so many good things that before you know it, you might actually end up saying no to the most important thing. And so I believe it's possible that we say yes to enough good things that we ultimately end up saying no to the most important things, to the things that maybe God is begging you to actually say yes to. And so part of the greed that's inside of us might have to be, part of killing that greed that's inside of us is that we might have to say no to some good things. We might have to say no to some good things. I was reading this book on kind of business management, and one of the strategies of execution was that they had to limit what they said yes to. They're like, they're like we cannot execute on all of the good ideas that our company produces. Our company produces so many good ideas that we have to say no to good ideas every day. And the thing that makes our company successful is that we look at all of the good ideas and we say, what's the best idea that we can say yes to? And I think that that's what God is asking us to do with our lives in some ways. In some ways, I think our lives have been filled with saying yes to so many good things that we've missed the very best thing that we could be saying yes to. And we have a hard time saying no because we're greedy, because we lust after the, that if I'm busy enough, if I fill my life enough, maybe there'll be fulfillment. Maybe other people will look at my life and be like, man, I cannot believe how busy their life is, but man, they pull it off, you know? And so maybe what we need to do is begin to say no to some things that we can begin to say yes to the most important thing, to the best things. And so my question is, is where has God blessed you the most where you can begin to say yes to the very best thing? Because this is how God works, right? Like God blesses with intent. God blesses for a purpose. And he blesses us beyond our comprehension. And then he tells us to give it all away. And he does this with the nation of Israel. This morning we read in the passing of the peace, we read that uh, Israel was not to forget the foreigner among them. That Israel was to take care of the foreigners, the widows, the orphans among them. 
and to remember that they were once foreigners in the land of Egypt, to remember how God had provided for them and that God was saying, hey, remember how I provided for you? I provided for you in such a way so that you would be equipped and enabled to go and provide for them. This is the heart of our God. In Genesis 12, when God establishes a nation, a holy nation, he says, hey, I've, I've designed you so that you can go and bless the rest of the world. In Matthew 5, Jesus reminds the people of Israel and us of that, and he says, you are the light of the world. Go and share that light with this world. In Deuteronomy 24, Leviticus 19, and Leviticus 23, God tells his people to not go over their fields twice, but to leave the crop for the needy. Large parts of the law are given to protect orphans and widows and the lowly living among them in communities. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, God tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that God has not withheld anything, and that he has created us and he's given a new purpose in us to go and walk in the good works that he has prepared and advanced for us. And so Jesus challenges us in this parable to think about what we've been hoarding. And he asks us, to whom will it go to when you're gone? To whom will it go to when you're gone? These things that you've been storing up in your heart, what's going to happen if you're not here tomorrow? Does all of your busyness matter? Does your basement full of stuff matter? What's really going to matter when you're gone. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it shows us and allows us to see what life is really about and that it's actually a gift. That This life is an incredible gift. It's one of those generous gifts that we get from God. It's this life. Here's this life. I've given it to you so that you can go and give it to others. He did not give us this life so that it could be managed. And I think sometimes I fall into like just in the management company I'm just trying to manage everything in my life. And God says, no, I want you to experience this life as a gift. I just had a birthday this week and I received a bunch of gifts, gifts that I didn't even imagine I would receive. Like, you know, some birthdays you get like one thing, you're like, woo, awesome. This, this birthday, like, I was blown out of my mind on the number of gifts that I received. And I was so blessed by them. And I realized I, didn't, I wasn't deserving of any of them. But people just gave things that bring me joy. And so if your life is not bringing you joy, I think there's a place where we might be missing it, where we might be missing it, and we might be trying to manage stuff. We might be trying to earn it. And God says, no, receive this life as a gift and find joy in it. And that this life best lived is when you give it away when you serve others, when you love others, when you give it freely towards those who are in greatest need. And I think that this is what Jesus means when he says to be rich towards God. Because that's how he ends the parable, right? He says, you know, you need to be rich towards God. And I think that this is what it means to, be, to see life as a gift and to give it to others and to serve God's kingdom, to serve God's people, to serve the oppressed to serve the widowed, the orphaned, the foreigners living among us. I think the problem sometimes is that, 
you know, we look at generosity, and I just want to say it, I feel like I've got to say it just to preface it, is that, like, it's not a, it's not a payback program. Like, I think sometimes we listen to messages on generosity, and we hear the message, like, God has been generous to you, so you should be generous to God back. And we're like, okay, well, like, sign me up where, like, I can, like, auto-withdraw from my account. Because I guess if I need to pay back this, like, lifetime loan back to God for the ways that God has been generous, that's not what this is. That's not what this is. That's not the gospel that God has created for us. And so if that is what's in your mind, it's like, man, I've, man it sounds like i got to just pull out of my pockets and really, really sacrifice and make these payments month after month. That's not it. You're missing it. The gospel is a gift. It's meant to be received. And we live our lives of generosity in response to that gift. Just like my friend who said, I had a father who's incredibly generous. And it, he was so generous that it moved me, in fact, towards living this life of generosity. And man, I share in the joy of my father. Even though he's gone, I share in the joy of my father that he found when he was generous. That's what the gospel is. That's what God is calling us to do. He's, he's calling us saying, hey, come and share in my joy. Come and share in my pleasure as I give and as you give, that you would experience community and life with me. It's a way of honoring our Father who has given us so much, and it's modeling what God has already modeled to us. And so this morning, I want us to celebrate for a moment because uh, we've responded as a church incredibly generously Um, we've been raising binders for Wright Middle School, three-inch binders. And we put out the challenge to you. I put out the challenge of 300. It was kind of audacious. Um, It was more than what they asked for. The school asked for 50. The school's like, hey, we want 50. If you could provide 50 binders for us, that'd be awesome. We found out that their real need was around 250. That was their real need that they were kind of keeping secret. They just were like, hey, if you could provide 50 towards this, like, real need of 250, that would be great. Um, and our church stepped up in incredible ways and gave generously and sacrificially that we were able to give them 180 binders towards their 250 binder goal. And so I think we should celebrate that this morning as we participate in this generosity, in this, in this taking care of those who, of the, of the, these, are, these are, a lot of these children come from widowed families, from single-family homes. A lot of these children that will receive these binders cannot afford it. And the school puts it on their list. They're like, hey, we need you to bring these binders. And now the school can take that off the list and say, hey, you don't have to be burdened with an extra $15, $30. Some places, if you go to the wrong place, those binders are $10 a piece. And if anyone's got kids and have gone school supply shopping, like, that's, that's a high bill in August that you're, like, not prepared for. And so it's amazing that we were able to respond in such a way that brings that need to such an incredibly low level. And so the question is, is are we... <coughs> Sorry. So we've responded generously. And you know what generous living allows for? This is, this is one of the favorite things that I love about living generously, is that it allows for creativity. It allows for creativity. Do you know what is a creativity killer? You know what steals creativity? It's our greed and our selfishness. Because greed asks the question, what can I do to get what I want? That's the imagination of greed. It does not get much bigger than that. It just says, what can I do to get what I want? It has an incredibly limited scope. But generosity 
says, what can I do with others? What can I do for others with the current resources that I've been giving? It makes us look back and say, okay, I've been given these things. I've been given these tools. I'm not going to ask for any more, but what can we do with these tools that I've been given to go serve others? It requires an incredible amount of energy around creativity to say, how are we going to take these things that God has given us and bless others with? And there's just something about being creative that excites me. There's, I love a new idea. I love it when I hear somebody saying, you know what, I think God has given me these things and I want to go and do X with it. We get excited about that. We get excited about that when people start foundations, when people start orphanages, when people go on mission trips. We get excited about that because people tap into their God-given creativity and begin to bless people and begin to live out the kingdom of God that God has given us. And so for this man in, in this parable, his creativity was very limited to himself. But he had the option to where he could have been creative with his big barns. He could have built bigger barns because I bet you he wasn't the only guy that needed bigger barns that year. I bet you other people had a larger uh, <laughs> harvest that year, but they probably couldn't finance bigger barns to where they could protect their crop. And so he could have just built bigger barns for the sake of helping protect other people's crops. I mean, he could have done what Joseph did and said, hey, we're going to build up a massive store of food pantry for like when the drought does come, people aren't going to die. We'll just give it away. And so, hey, I'm going to build some big barns so that when, when drought does come, because as a farmer, you know that drought's inevitably going to come. People are going to die. People are going to go hungry. He could have seen that as an opportunity of like, hey, how are we going to, how are we going to collectively use our resources to bless other people when the time of need comes? But instead, he works only to his own personal needs. And so I think about that. I think about that as I think about our work, something that many of us participate in each week. What if the means to the end of our work was so much more than just collecting a paycheck so that you could have nice things, collect more things that you wanted, and go on your merry way? What if your work, what if you were able to take a greater creative imagination to your work and say, you know what, this place that God has put me in to work is a place where I can go and bless others. It's a place where I can go and serve others. It's a place where I can go and speak and add value to other people's lives. And what if you had an imagination around your work that said, hey, what if instead of just seeing it as a place where I collect resources to then expend resources on my own life, it was a place where it says, man, I get to work here, so I get to bless other people with some financial resources as well. What if you decided to, you know, as an example, give to CareNet through the work that God has given you? And somebody asks you at work, hey, what purpose and meaning do you find about your work? You'd say, well, actually a lot. Actually a lot, because I believe that life is valuable. And uh, one of the ways that this job allows me to value life is that I get to give it to CareNet. And CareNet is about preserving life and about allowing more babies to be born than aborted. And so this, this job actually allows me to help fight against abortion in this world and preserve and add value to life. That's, that's, that's how this job has meaning for me. I mean, what, what a game changer. As you sit there behind your computer, 
behind your cubicle, behind your desk, wherever, behind your workbench, wherever it is where you're just like, I just make this thing. And I don't really know where this thing goes when I'm done with it, but I just make this thing. You know, just think about it. If your life was just sitting at a press, boom, you made this one little part. You know, that's all my life is, this one part. Well, what if, what if, what if it was so much bigger than this one part? What if this one part enabled you to go and share your resources with the world to where you could challenge your coworkers and say, you know what, it's not about this little part. This little part actually allows me to do so much more. This little part allows me to, to be an advocate in places that I could never go and support people that I've never met. But I trust that our God is bigger than all of this. And so I challenge you to think about your work and think about how can I have a greater imagination around my work? Because we burn out, right? We burn out at work. We burn out. We were like, man, why am I doing this thing over and over and over again? What purpose does it really serve? And we want to change it up. And so maybe instead of changing it up, maybe, maybe God isn't calling you to a new place of work, but maybe God's challenging you to rethink your work and to rethink the purpose and the joy of your work by being generous. And so I ask us this morning, how are you storing up? What is rotting? What is rotting physically? Maybe it's rotting in your soul. And what are the few best things that God's calling you to, to say yes to? And where is he calling you to say no? No is not a bad word. No actually gives us freedom to say yes to the things that are most important. So I know that whether we're challenging financially or with our time, because that's what this passage does. It challenges us financially. It challenges us with our time. There's always a little bit of anxiety around, well, if I do this thing, like what if I run out of resources? If I do this thing, what if I don't have enough time or enough resources that I'd like. And Jesus addresses this immediately after the parable. And so if you're there, if that's where you're at, you're like, I'm kind of anxious. I encourage you to, in your own time, study the next passage. But he essentially says, do not be anxious. And I love this line. He says, consider the ravens, these birds. He says, they do not neither sow nor reap, which means the ravens don't plant anything. And the ravens don't harvest anything. And it says the ravens don't even keep a storehouse of grain. But yet the raven God provides for. And so this is where I want to focus our attention this morning as we continue in worship is that we would reflect on the amazing generosity that God has given to us. This incredible generosity of our Father. And I want us to be sensitive to the Spirit in this time that we might listen to Him because He's living inside of us. He's active. I believe that He might be calling us to make some changes in our lives. And so as we continue in worship, um, I just encourage you to, to listen to the Spirit as we worship, as we sing some songs, to listen to the Spirit as we give in the back, giving's in the back in the maroon box. And so if you'd like to, to give this morning, it's back there to, to maybe spend some time in prayer, just some time sitting in meditation. Maybe God has challenged you to, to rethink and recreate your vision around work. Maybe he's challenged you to recreate and reimagine your your time with family, the time with your resources. I mean, the thing that's most exciting about this passage is that God has given us so much to be creative with. And I can't wait to see how God's Spirit speaks and breathes life in us to where we can be energized in that creativity. And so let's focus on those things. Let's focus on how generous and how amazing our God has been to us this morning. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we get to come together and worship you. I thank you that you gave the ultimate sacrifice of your son, that we might be saved from your wrath. And God, I thank you that you've given us new meaning and new life and new perspective. And God, I just pray that where we are burnt out from saying yes to so many things, that you would show us in our hearts where we might need to say yes to only one thing, the most important thing, and begin to say no to the other things. God, fill our heart with your spirit, and God, may we have a heart of thankfulness, and may you crush the heart of lust and the heart of greed that's living inside of us, that's captivated us, God. God, may you come and set us free this morning. God, may you protect the souls in this room this morning from the oppressor so that we might experience this morning thankful for all that you've given us beyond all that we can imagine. In your name we pray. Amen. Pray. Amen. Pray. Amen. Pray. Amen. Pray. Amen. Pray. Amen. Pray.